Episode 39, How to Make Art from Your Broken Heart with Ellen Marie Marsh. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful, but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Meryl Streep gets credit for the quote, but she was actually quoting Star Wars Carrie Fisher at the Oscar Awards when she said, take your broken heart and make it art. Our guest today is doing just that with a powerful one-woman show that will be performed Monday, September 17th at the Green Room in New York City. Ellen Marie Marsh is an actress, singer, and comedian whose Broadway credits include the original cast of the Tony-winning best musical Kinky Boots, and she can currently be seen in the smash hit Pretty Woman, which is breaking box office records at the Nederlander Theater. But of all the roles Ellen has played, she would tell you her favorite is being a mom to her daughter Lola. And that's why a recent breakup left her broken and devastated. Now, not only was Ellen in lied to and cheated on by a narcissist that she was dating, he tried to get revenge by having her daughter taken away from her. I'm sure you can relate to breakup stories, and some of us can relate to being cheated on, but when you hear the story of what Ellen has been through, over the past 18 months, your jaw is going to hit the floor. And in this episode, she's going to beautifully share the experience with us. Some of the topics we'll discuss is why trusting your gut instinct is vital for the success of any relationship. The signs to look out for if you think you might be dating a narcissist. How using your story can be a cure to help you heal and help others heal at the same time. The importance of receiving help and love during times of crisis. Why self-care? is an important part of healing and moving on in your life and the importance of being vulnerable and letting people know when you need help. Ellen has been a friend of mine since college. I love her to death and you are going to love the show that she performs on September 17th. It's going to be a night of music and many laughs, believe it or not. And you can buy tickets at the link that we posted here in the show notes. In the meantime, sit back, relax. We're going to learn how to make art from a broken heart with Broadway's Ellen Marie Marsh. Ellen Marie Marsh, welcome to Life Amplified. Thank you. Happy to be here. Ellen is one of my dearest friends in the world. We've known each other for over 20 years, which means we've known each other since we were 11. Can you believe it? That is a long time. (laughs) Delusion is the way to go. Fun 11 year olds. Ellen and I met in college. We were in the musical theater program together at Emerson College, and Ellen is the one that made it. Oh, boy. You can see her on stage right now, part of the cast of the hit Broadway musical Pretty Woman, which is now playing to sold-out houses. But you also got a one-woman show coming up. Yes. September 17th. At 9.30 at the Green Room, which is inside the Yotel on 42nd and 10th. For all my New York and New Jersey listeners, great chance to come out and see you belt your face off, get a lot of laughs, but also talk about a really, really serious topic. The fact that you're able to turn this into a laugh-filled show is pretty remarkable. But I remember coming to New York a few years ago when you and I went and saw Hamilton together. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you were getting divorced. Mm -hmm. And then it was just a few months later. It's like the be careful what you ask for because you might get it. I start seeing all over social media. You're in Iceland. You're hanging out. Obnoxiously in love on social media. Like, wow. 
Can we take that back? And I was like, <laughs> well, good for Ellen. I'm so happy. My friend has found love. And you were in that vomitously in oh, love yeah. early stage and of the relationship. And it wasn't faux. It wasn't put on at all. It was just spilling out into social media as it does. And it seemed like everything was going well. Yeah. As many relationships do in the beginning. Yeah. Until it wasn't going well. Until it was great until it wasn't. So what was the point where things took a turn? He had gotten a new job, which took him out of town for nine weeks. And he had an affair pretty close to immediately after he left town. And like all things do, you just get that witchy gut instinct that something is amiss. And I was right. And how did you tell? Because now at this point, he was already moving. In, he had moved into yeah, your house. we lived together. We lived with my daughter who was eight years old at the time. So You'd yeah. Every, gone all in. Totally. Yeah. When's the first time that your spidey senses go off and tell you something feels off? It was the night he left. Wow. To go out of town. He landed in the city he was working in and he didn't text me. I thought, that's weird. You know, we kind of live on text messages. And as, you know, relationships do, you live on kind of constant communication. And I didn't hear from him until hours and hours later. And I thought, this is weird. And that was the first time I had that tickle in my gut that something was weird. It was the night he left. And he actually told me later he did see them. That was a big confession. So One of the big things that happens with people in relationships, particularly ones where there's been betrayal, and I can certainly relate to this, is your intuition tells you something's off. But it's so much easier to make the relationship what you want it to be rather than see it for what it is. How do you deal with that? Like, what's the balance between trusting your intuition and thinking, well, I'm just being paranoid? I completely ignored my instinct. I knew exactly what was happening. And I sort of made up a narrative in my mind. And I sort of convinced myself that my gut was an accomplice to this sort of fantasy that I had created. Because... He kept, you know, reassuring and sort of gaslighting me and saying, why are you so insecure? Why are you acting crazy? Why are you paranoid? You're acting pathetic. Luckily, in text messages, which the kids call receipts. <laughs> so I've got all the receipts. Um, <laughs> they may or may not be used as part of the show oh, coming up September 17th. Yeah, 930, you might want to stroll down and see those receipts. I convinced myself. Otherwise, I said, He's clearly not doing this. You're being insecure. You're, you're being all these things he's telling you. But I'm the problem. I am the problem. But the thing that I've learned in my young age is that you know the truth by the way it feels. It's kind of like when you get a, a spidey sense when you meet someone and you think, huh, I just really like that person. They have a good energy and vice versa. When you meet someone and you just don't trust them, there's these six senses that we have and you choose to listen or you don't. And I, I fully did not listen to everything. Everything in my body was telling me. How long did that go on before you found out the truth? Like, how did you find out that you were right? Yeah, about six weeks later, I had visited him twice and I flew out there for to visit. It was just not right. Everything was not right. I was meant to be there for a week and I was there for two days and we broke up. The reason he gave me for wanting to break up was because he didn't want to be a stepdad. He didn't want to be with a woman with a child anymore. Although he knew the fact that you had a child when you started dating and yes, still chose I, to move into the house. Yeah, I didn't, so. I didn't hide her in a box under the stairs like a puppy. Yeah. yeah. No, she was there the whole time. But about a couple days later, when I was accidentally going through his emails. Accidentally. I, uh, I <laughs> found out that he was having an affair. 
And then from there, the relationship's over. At that time, I didn't go off on him. I just said, I know. And what I said to him was exactly like this. And in this tone, I said, just so you know, everyone we know will now know why we broke up. So know that when you run into someone that we know, they will know that you cheated on me. And it wasn't a threat. It was just a, I'm not going to tell this fake story that we had come up with about yeah. us being in different places in our life. I'm not going to put on Facebook that you cheated, but I'm not going to stray away from the truth. I actually thought I was being nice. I was giving him a warning that this is what's up. That spun him into a tailspin because, as you will know with a narcissist, when they feel like they're up against the wall, if a narcissist can't control you, they will control how others see you. They're very much into image management. Absolutely. For themselves particularly, but if they can't maintain that, then I feel like they have to look to another situation. Absolutely. So we had spoken, a narcissist isn't just somebody who thinks highly of themselves, is obsessed with themselves, is consumed with themselves. It's actually highly charismatic, personable people who are who have winning personalities and who win people over. Donald Trump, Hitler, Saddam Hussein, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. All these people that we now know their true colors, but they have winning personalities. They have won historically they have won people over. Yeah. And that's the tool that they use. That's how their traits are so nuanced that they can kind of slip into your life and wreak havoc unannounced. But this whole thing took a turn for crazy town. One way ticket to crazy town. The stuff we're getting into now is what delineates, I think, a traditional breakup from a breakup that merits its own one woman show <laughs> in New York. Because <laughs> people are like, oh, you cheated on me. People are like, well, Ellen, that sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. But pass the beer nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the next step in this. Uh, just a Tuesday morning at my house that I decided not to go on with my day, you know, go to Soul Cycle and therapy because I'm a basic white woman. My girlfriend came over and said, hey, does your ex have a beard now? I said, yeah, he does. Why? And she said, he's across the street. And she said, and he's hiding behind a tree. <laughs> it's almost like a cartoon character. Oh, yeah. Like that gif for Homer Simpson, like, falls into the bushes. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. No, he was hiding behind a tree. So I went outside. Now, mind you, I hadn't seen him since when I found out he cheated. He came clean and said, yes, I've cheated. So I hadn't seen him since that. And I went outside and I said, what are you doing here? Just like that. And then I said, can I curse? You absolutely can. I said, what the fuck are you doing here? Two times. And then he didn't answer me. He just stared at me blankly. And I said, did you come here to talk about how you cheated? And I went loony tunes, just screaming, yelling, saying, truthfully, if you gave me a list of things I would say, I'd say, sure, probably I said that. And then he pushed me away, which fine. I was screaming. And then I pushed him back and he called the cops. On me. For perspective on this, I want to give people the visual. You're maybe 115 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm 110 pounds. I think I'm 5'3 or 5'3 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was over he, six feet tall. He's 6'2, 220. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is actually pretty funny. The cops come and they don't want to say what they want to say because they're stifling their laughter. And they said, Well, he says you slapped him. I was like, Okay, well, I didn't do that. And he says, no, there's more. And he says that you threw him to the ground. 
And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what? That's not even scientifically possible. They're laughing and they're like, ma'am, who is this pussy? And I said, that's my ex-boyfriend. And he goes, oh, Jesus. (laughs) And they were like, the cops were just, we're laughing and having banter. And they kept shrugging and looking at each other. And I said, so am I going to jail? Like, I didn't know. And they said, ma'am, if we believed the story, you would be going to jail. Of course you're not going to jail. I go a couple days later because my, you know, my parents were a little freaked out. I live alone with my daughter. He knows how to get into my house. He knows all these things. So I went to go get a restraining order, which sounds a little dramatic, but. Well, when you have a kid in the house. Yeah, yeah. it just seemed like the right thing to do. So I went to the courthouse and uh, I went to go get a restraining order and they actually slapped me with a restraining order. So he took one out on you. Oh, yeah. Because you're Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And you judo threw him to the ground. I am Gail Godot's stunt double, and I throw <laughs> people to the ground. So I have to go to court. Everything is thrown out because he didn't realize I had an eyewitness. It's all thrown out of court. So then we get to the, uh, I don't know, what would what would Mike Pence call this? I call <laughs> it the trifecta because it was the breakup, the cops, and then this. So his grand finale was, uh, I was in a Broadway show at the time, Kinky Boots, and it was intermission. And this was actually very odd because I was holding my phone and it, it was silent. And I saw that it was ringing and it was a 201 number, which is a New Jersey area code. And I thought it was my daughter's school. I was like, oh gosh, she's sick. I'm gonna have to go pick her up. And they said, this is Child Protective Services. We need to speak to your daughter. Wow. And I said, well, that's impossible. I'm in a Broadway show right now. When can we set up a meeting? And they said, no, we're going to go get her out of school then. And I ran upstairs and I just told my stage manager, I have to go. In the middle of the show, I got back to New Jersey. I peeled into my daughter's school and um, they had found my daughter and they had questioned her. Uh, interrogated her and they had to uh, check her body. They had to make her take off her clothes and check her body. Your daughter at this point is eight, nine years old. She's eight. And the reason they did all this was he said he had called child protective services and said that I was a drug addict, that I was on cocaine and prescription drugs and that I beat and neglect my daughter. Which, you know, I know for my listeners, they don't know who you are, but all they have to do is take a look at any of your social media accounts to see that I don't know a better mom (laughs) in my life than you. And he went there. You know, my caseworker who I became close with said, you know, we know within minutes of sitting down with a child whether or not they're abused or neglected. And what's sad on her end was with a call of that nature, they actually have to investigate you. To the fullest extent. Yeah. They knew within minutes of sitting down that this was a false call. I sat down with them and they said, do you know who made this call? And I said, I can clear this up with one question. Does he have an accent? Because my ex-husband is English. And I knew it wasn't him. My ex-husband and I have a very amicable relationship. And she said no. And I said, let me ask another question. Was it from an international number? And she said yes. And I knew he was in Italy at the time. That's how we were able to identify it was him. And so for the next almost three months, I had to be investigated, systematically drug tested. My home was inspected. Lola was interviewed. My ex-husband was interviewed. And I had to undergo psychiatric evaluations. They had to ask me questions that you would never even have the answers to. They asked me how many alcoholic drinks I've had in my life. 
I like it was yeah it was just very strange and obviously it all came back and his allegations were all unfounded obviously all of this in the name of revenge and in the name of some kind of twisted sick sort of you know he was trying to be a puppet master in some kind of you know show involving all of us to where he was the mastermind behind everything so when you're going through this experience where you're not just being called out i mean you're being called out as a drug addict you're being called out as an unfit mother your ex-husband is being dragged into it a little girl who has no idea what's going on has already been through enough change because mom's boyfriend no longer lives in the house emotionally what's going on with you at that point i think i was a basket case I think I was distracted, vacant, emotional, irritable. I wasn't angry. I was sad. I dramatically lost a ton of weight. I was just kind of a zombie. And I never really truly knew the phrase like living day to day, but I truly was just trying to get through every day with setting up drug tests, trying to find out who my friends were, who I could trust, who I could go to, trying to lean on people, trying to be a good mother, trying to not let Lola how much I was hurting in so many different ways, trying to keep things amicable with my ex-husband because my ex-husband wanted to dramatically get involved, you know, trying to keep afloat. I don't know if I did a very good job of it, if I'm honest. How could anybody? <laughs> I mean, like, literally. I mean, with what you just described, how could anybody take I mean, that I, on? I tried, but I think that I leaned in heavy on friends and family. And I have two girlfriends that I call my fairy godmothers that would quite literally sneak into my house and bring me food because I wasn't eating. I wasn't, I was pretty much just working, taking care of my daughter and sleeping and trying to sort out my life i mean i have to imagine at that point you feel completely powerless where is the moment where you're able to just even get your sea legs back and decide that you're going to move forward and how did your creativity really spur you through the day that child protective services said everything was unfounded obviously this was a false call how long did that process take it was over three months because it fell over Christmas and Thanksgiving oh, and New God, Year. Oh, God, the holidays Yeah, on top so of it. it was, you know, the, it was a government agencies are closed, so it took a little bit yeah. longer. And my caseworker said to me, go get him. Because not only had he halted my life, he had also wasted resources for an agency that is made to protect children. So they quite literally wasted their time, money, and resources investigating me and my family when another child needed that time and money and resources. Another child could have, I'm not being dramatic when I say died because they weren't rescued or they weren't questioned in time. So she said, go get them. Once it was over, I had this unexplained strength to just put my big girl panties on and fight back. And so he has criminal charges pending against him now for harassment and falsifying information. So his court case is still pending and he faces jail time. Once you get through this point, you would not listen to your own intuition. How much are you judging yourself at this point? I feel like that's the biggest part. You can be so angry at the person who betrayed you. Yeah. You know, I know in my experience with the narcissist, I was more pissed at myself, though. Yeah. Because like, you feel tricked. I was like, you're an idiot. Yeah, How yeah. did you not know? Absolutely. How severe was that for you? That was pretty bad. Also, I was dealing with the guilt of bringing this sort of monster into my daughter's life. And with the help of friends, you said this to me, my therapist 
saying you can't put that on yourself, you know, totally. because I felt this guilt of, Ooh, I'm getting choked up. I felt this guilt of bringing this man into her life and, you know, and she's a child. That was the hardest thing to get over. But being a strong person or thinking you're a strong person, thinking you're a smart person, thinking you're, you have good intuition and then being duped so bad, you just feel like an idiot. And then you go back. I don't know if you did this with your ex-wife. You go back and you said, there was a sign I ignored. There was a sign I ignored. And then you really trace it back. And I was able to trace it so far back to things yeah. that I don't think I ignored it. I think I chose not to see it because you're in love and you're happy. And that's what a narcissist does is they cloud everything they have to win over your happiness and your trust in order to ultimately betray you and with you know tactics such as gaslighting and making you feel that you're mentally incompetent you go to yourself first I can actually correlate that to being on stage if uh, someone drops a line you know something goes wrong yeah my first instinct is what did you do Ellen yeah <laughs> totally what did you do it's your line say something so you think those things and because he sort of really did a number on me mentally, I really, really beat myself up again and again. And I still, you know, something to this day, you know, I'm, I am, you know, quote, over the relationship. I don't think I'll be over. I don't know if I'll ever be over what he did to Lola. But the creativity part of it came when I said, I have a voice and... I have some kind of a platform and I have a monicum of talent and I can use this to kind of share this story because I can't be the only one. Yeah. And I did the show in May and I wasn't the only one. And I got so many emails and Facebook messages from people I didn't know, from women I didn't know saying, oh my gosh, this helped me feel like I wasn't alone. I, I thought I was so dumb. I thought I was so stupid. I thought I was crazy. I thought I was dramatic. All of these things that, you know, these men had embedded into their brain. And then I thought, well, this is a really personal show. I'm just going to do it for this room, for close friends. You came and my mom flew out and I thought, this is it. But then I realized that the platform to speak about emotional abuse was there and there wasn't anybody standing up and talking about it. You know, the Me Too movement dealt with sexual harassment and we have we know about physical abuse, but mental abuse is so embarrassing. I think that people stray away from it because there is a part of you that just feels so embarrassed and so dumb for falling for the act of a narcissist. It just doesn't get spoken about. You know, if a, if a woman gets hit by a man, well, obviously he's bigger than you. You couldn't defend yourself. If a woman gets sexually harassed, well, a man was using his power over you to get what he wanted. But being an emotionally abused, you agree to it. There's some part that agrees that says, okay, and that's embarrassing to admit. Yeah. You know, you did the show in May and it was incredible. We had a, it was a beautiful night. Somehow you do all this and still manage to make it a night of laughs, which is <laughs> only you, Ellen Marsh, only you. How's it changed now as, as the story has continued to unfold and what can people expect when they come September 17th? Well, I had originally set this date, if I'm being honest, with the plan of having an ending to the story because I thought the trial would be done by now. And what I've learned is that the judicial system has its own timeline of which I'm not privy to and it's not done. 
So I guess I was expecting to have it wrapped up in a neat little bow and that's actually not going to happen. So I'm just accepting that as, you know, that's not the way it's going to be. What I am changing is I'm changing a little bit of the storytelling and I think I'm sort of streamlining and clearing up the focus of it, which is sort of the clearing up about what, you know, what makes a narcissist and um, the narcissistic abuse. I was really inspired by the Hannah Gadsby special, Nanette. Yes. A lot of people talking about that on Netflix. Yeah. And she said this line that res, I mean, there were so many things that she said that resonated with me and a lot of people. One of the things she said was our stories are our cure, you know, talking about things that happen and getting it out, telling our stories are part of our cure. And there was another one, nothing is louder or more powerful than a woman who has been broken, who picks herself up again and has been broken. I can't remember the exact quote, but I was very, very moved. And I had a couple people say to me that your show kind of reminded me of it because it was sort of a bait and switch her show, which you sit down and you think yeah. it's going to be a comedy special, but it sort of morphs into more of a TED Talks. And I kind of liked that format. And the hardest thing about my show was telling the story about Lola because... And Lola is your daughter. Just Lola again, is my daughter. Just yeah. For- telling the story about what happened to her was the part I was most scared about because I'm fine with being funny. And I'm fine with, I think, any story with enough finesse can be funny that's part of what comedy is is taking an uncomfortable situation and making it funny somehow kevin hart talks about his drug addicted in and out of prison dad and it's hilarious yeah obviously that comes from one of his specials was called laugh at my pain yeah and i think that's a brilliant way to explain what comedy is it's laughing at our pain i know at least for me when i think back in my radio days and i always sort of leaned on being the funny guy in every situation you know it was a way to be seen but it was also a way to not really feel the underlying emotions humor is a great defense mechanism to keep you from feeling the unpleasant emotions Mm -hmm. how do you ride that line in your life between knowing that you fully grieved everything that happened and it's okay to laugh or maybe just using it as a way to not feel I think I did. I mean, I think I felt all the emotions. This is true. I think I went through it. But um, I think that you'll recall on the show that I kind of took the emotional sections and did deflect a little with laughter. I feel like I went through it and I felt it enough that I could find the funny. You know, even the section about Lola, I I talk about that note that she left me, if you'll recall. Yeah. I dissect this note that she left me and that's funny. And then I (laughs) referred back to it because I think in any tense situation, I think an audience is just dying to laugh when they're tense. Because in our brains, the, the chemicals that are, you know, sadness, great sadness, great anger, great joy are all the same. And I think that with great sadness can come laughter. I mean, it's it's the same thing, you know, when you're at a funeral and someone makes a joke and yeah. it's everyone kind of needs that release. And I think that laughter can kind of do that in a tense situation. What have you learned about vulnerability through this process? I was telling you before we even rolled today, you and I have been friends for over two decades, but you know, there's times we hang out, we get along, it's great. But I've told you before, I was like, there's times when I always felt like, what's really going on? What did you used to believe about vulnerability? And now that you've shared this story so bravely and you've turned it into a show, what do you believe now? I think I used to confuse vulnerability with weakness. 
and think that I don't need to, not, not to say I didn't cry or get upset. I definitely did. But I never needed to show that to anyone. I needed never needed to show anyone that I was hurt. And I never needed to show anyone the sad things in life. And this was so epically horrible that I think that it actually did the opposite and showed my strength in sharing the story because it was hard and it still is hard and if anyone you know is able to come to the show there are parts that are difficult for me to get through even now even now feeling great and happy and positive and I'm in a great show I love my job I love my daughter everything is sort of you know in line but it's still hard to get through and I think that being vulnerable is quite the opposite of what I thought it was. I think being vulnerable takes a great amount of strength. Mm. And I think there's a time and a place. I don't think we all need to walk around with, you know, our hearts wide open and completely vulnerable. But I have learned that it's okay to let people take care of you a little. Allowing yourself to actually receive the love and the attention and especially for somebody like you who's so wired to take care of other people yeah it's so funny even today i hurt my finger and my dance partner it was really hurt it was like one of those odd things and even my dance partner didn't know i was he thought i was sick to my stomach because i kept looking down because i didn't want him to know i was hurt Mm. because i didn't want him to dote on me or say like are you okay are you okay and he goes i didn't even know you hurt yourself you were looking down because i was crying because it Mm. it hurt so bad I just wanted to kind of like cry it out and go on with the show and that was it so yeah there are still times where that kind of like tough broad kind of creeps back in for somebody listening today who thinks they might be dating a narcissist oh yeah what would be three telltale signs for somebody from your experience that would be the biggest red flags for somebody who's questioning? Obviously, a narcissist is someone who is consumed with themselves and need constant attention, right? That's the obvious trait of a narcissist. But the sort of more subtle traits are somebody who gaslighting, you know, if there's a problem flipping the script, changing the narrative, making it about you. Blaming you for why right. for why it's happened. The problem isn't the abuse, it's your reaction to the uh, abuse, yeah. right? It's yeah. not what I'm doing to you, it's how you're reacting to me. So ultimately that deflection um, coming back, and then that's coupled with gaslighting. Then I would say one of the more dangerous characteristics, I guess, is being consumed with how others perceive even sort of like small natural human missteps making sure everything is you know perceived it's all sort of an act what they do is they you know they can drain you emotionally they can drain you financially they can drain you you, your your time your energy your family and they love to turn people against you ultimately his goal with all of the sort of drama that he brought into my life was also he wasn't the bad guy he wanted me to be the bad guy yeah. because he had cheated on me with, you know, I was a single mom and he didn't want to face that. He yeah. didn't want to be the bad guy. So his only exit strategy was to make me the bad guy. Well, look, she's going to jail. Well, yeah. look, someone's taking her kid away. And it was just the ultimate deflection for him to not be the bad guy. And I mean, there has never been such a complete 360 back, you know, boomerang completely back to him as the trouble he made for himself and for somebody who is healing right now from a breakup with a narcissistic person what would be a couple meaningful action steps that you could give to somebody who's just going through it or maybe they're on those first couple steps how do you rebound how do you find yourself again well I would say don't do what I did which is keep telling everyone you're okay 
because I wasn't okay. Yeah. And I kept saying, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm great. I'm okay. And I wasn't. I wasn't fooling anyone except for myself. Everybody could see, you know, your emotions. People's hair turn gray. They age. Not saying I do. You know, it manifests itself outwardly. So I think the thing that is okay to do is to lean on people. I think there's such a guilt in um, saying, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. You know, but then there were the people, your your people, your people, whoever that might be, a brother, a sister, a friend, a coworker, and they say, are you okay? And it's okay to say, I'm actually just not today. And, you know, saying why and talking, I would not have been able to get through without people checking in and letting me talk and letting me talk it out and letting me be crazy and letting me be sad because you can't do it by yourself because it's not a regular breakup. Breaking up with a narcissist is someone who is using tactics and implementing different forms of abuse to make you feel bad about yourself. And we don't have the toolbox for that. Most people don't at least. You know, everybody can sympathize and relate to the emotion of hurt. Right. Everybody there. That is one emotion that everybody can relate to. But how we deal with it and our gauge and our tolerance for it is always going to be different. Accepting that help and self-care. I never I never knew this self-care thing you all people talk about. (laughs) It's great. You're like, I thought that was some life coachy bullshit. Yeah, I was like, oh, wow. I enjoy the self-care. What does the self-care look like for you? Because it's different for everybody. Allowing myself to sit on the couch and watch TV. I always thought I needed to be doing something and being a productive member of society. Getting massages. Going into the sauna, the spa. Like, I never gave myself those things. Making myself feel good putting on nice clothes doing the girly things that make me feel good getting a blowout I know that sounds crazy but it just made me feel better about myself spending time with friends and going out to dinner and not feeling guilty about spending too much money on something yeah is there any part of you that like looking back in hindsight looking at your evolution as a woman as just a human on the planet as a mom is there any part of you now that can that has enough in the rearview mirror where maybe you can find any it's a weird word to say and I don't want to because I would never wish this experience on anybody but do you find any gift in it for you in terms of what it's allowed what it's brought out of you either as a person or as an artist I think the kind of the the vulnerability that we talked about I don't know if you felt it in my show when you saw it but I felt really in control of what I was saying and doing and I think that knowing that sort of everyone's story has value Mm. and that if you want to tell your story you can I mean I guess that's the only gift and just knowing that I guess how strong we are yeah thinking back to where I was a year ago and thinking that I couldn't get up off the floor and then thinking Really, you just think this is never going to end. You think I am never going to be okay. And just knowing how strong we actually are, I guess that's a gift because Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever really knew. I knew I was because people told me I was. and people. But you had never experienced it or integrated it? Never felt it? People say, well, you're such a strong woman, I think, because people equate that with maybe having a career and a a presence and a, a child. But then seeing like, oh, no. I am fucking Wonder Woman. Yeah, you are. (laughs) I 
think that was probably the gift. The show is Ellen Marie Marsh. I'm sorry, what? It's happening Monday night, September 17th, 9.30 p.m. 9.30 p.m. At the Green Room. We'll put a link. Uh, there's still some tickets available, at least as of the day we're recording this. So we'll get some. Uh, we'll get that link up in the show notes. My friend, I love you. I love you. I've always admired your talent, but just seeing what all this has uh, created in your life and just seeing where you're at right now has been amazing to watch. Thank you. You're the best. Thanks for having me. If you're one of my listeners in New York or New Jersey, this is going to be such a powerful, amazing, beautiful night of entertainment, September 17th. I'm going to be at the show. I would love to say hi to you if you're there. Tickets for I'm Sorry What are on sale now. You can find the link here in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the content that you heard today, let Ellen and I know you're listening. You can screenshot this podcast, upload it to Twitter or Instagram. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason, and you can tag her at Ellen Marsh. That is Ellen with a Y. Also, if you're loving the podcast, give us a follow here on the iHeartRadio app or click subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And don't forget, those five-star ratings and reviews are always welcome. Not for my sake, but it does help us get this content out there to more people and help with our placement on the Apple New and Noteworthy section. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to listen today. If you're looking for some coaching to help you break through to the next level in your career, in life, you can find out how to work with me at my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. And while you're there, you can schedule a complimentary 30-minute discovery call with me. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. We'll talk to you next time.